the sun is shining, the tank is clean, and the Cleveland Browns won. And on today's episode, we have one of Cleveland's own. Welcome back to the show. This is B is for Business, where I, your host, John Jickey Bison, sit down with entrepreneurs, founders, and inventors, those who shape our culture and industries. Thank you for listening. We have a very special guest today, Dan Jickey Bison. After cutting his teeth in property management and architectural firms, Dan realized there was a gap in the resources available for independent real estate investors. To solve this need, Dan founded Doorward, the first social network dedicated to real estate, known to Doorward as social real estate. The Doorward platform brings together the best of social media and real estate tools to provide a cohesive platform for real estate associations, DIY landlords, and independent operators. It's a great episode, ladies and gentlemen. Sit back and enjoy. You make this rather snappy, won't you? I have some very heavy thinking to do before 10 o'clock. Well, welcome to the show, Dan. Great to have you on. Dan Jacobison is my very own brother, so it's exciting to have this conversation. Dan, also known as Jake, um, and I am known as Jack, so we've already experienced some of those uh, names crossing paths and causing problems. Um, So, Jake, great to have you on. Jack, it's good to be here, dude. One thing that I was thinking about um, I have thought about many times before in the past is like this, our age gap, you know, 10 years, right? When I moved out of the house, I was 21, you were 11. And so cool to do some uh, stuff like this together, isn't it? Yeah, it's really awesome. Um, and I've shared so many times the like moving into the stage of life, especially for a younger sibling, when you're starting to get into the stages of life closer to your older siblings it's such a cool thing because you like you like wanted to be there with them for so long and then when you like start to get there you're still so far behind them but um it really like levels up um kind of the shared experience absolutely so dan you graduated um from csu cleveland state university uh, with a degree in urban studies and affairs you moved on to get your mba um, you worked your way through small real estate and architectural firms. Do you uh, feel like you had a specific kind of eureka moment uh, where you thought of the concept of Doorward, um, or do you feel like it was a slow idea that kind of just progressed uh, into a full company? Yeah, so I'm thinking a lot about the Mike Tyson quote. You know, everybody has a plan to get punched in the face, and and <laughs> strictly speaking. Like what Doorward is now, like there was no Eureka moment for that. There wasn't a Eureka moment where we put like that business plan together and was like, you know, here we go. Um, I had Eureka moments. Um, and I can talk about some of those, but it's it was very different from what Doorward is today. As you as you mentioned, studying economic development. 
being in the real estate development world, learning property management there, moving to New York to work for an architect who just wanted to be an architect and have me run his design and build firm. Uh, you know, he just wanted to draw and he wanted to do some of those projects like we did in the real estate development world and learning from him that design and build business model and and thinking like, oh, that's that's super interesting. It's very different from the property management business model. Extremely different. And I guess as a as somebody with an entrepreneur's mind, uh, I had had many different ideas for businesses throughout the years. I think um, I think when I, I think I was seventeen when I wrote like my first business plan, and and this was just like the one I don't know if you remember that that concept uh, that I had back then, but this was like okay, I had this career, I have studied these things, very clear, I would say, providential like moments that led me down this path and have this idea. And if I don't try this, I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life. So here we are. You had to dive in. So you mentioned you thought of your first uh, business idea when you're 17. Do you feel like you were always meant to be like an entrepreneur or a business owner? Um, or do you feel like kind of like the life chose you and you didn't choose it? Mm, that's an interesting question. I think, and I think we, let's say, let me put it this way. I know that we both learned the value of hard work growing up in the Jacob Bison household. We learned the value of a dollar. We learned the, um, like how, how to work and how to, how to work with love too. I would say how to put love into the work. I was never afraid to work hard, and I always assumed that we would have to. So I think some people, when they when they when they talk about like being born entrepreneurs, there's this idea of, well, like entrepreneurship is is fun. Entrepreneurship is not having like your own boss, and so it doesn't feel like work. Or if you you know you're working, you're working for yourself, or you just get to control all your time. You get this freedom or whatever. And I don't think that I ever had, I, I guess if, if that's what anybody out there thinks about in terms of what the entrepreneur like lifestyle is, I would say I, I wasn't born with that, right? Um, it's oftentimes, I don't know if like any of your listeners out there um, think this way. I know people that think this way. But oftentimes for the entrepreneur, there, there is reaction from, from, from friends, from loved ones who, who say, hey, like, why don't you just get a real job? Like, wait, what do you mean you're not going to have a paycheck or what have you? And I would say there was no part of my journey where I, I was always assuming that, well, I, I, I don't want to have a real job or I don't want to have a paycheck or I don't want to like have a boss or whatever. Like that, that wasn't part of the equation. I think I always had a desire to create, um, to be innovative. I, you know, coming up with ideas for new products. I think in terms of being a born entrepreneur, I will say, I will say that the idea part is very natural to me. 
the actually doing something about the idea is not natural to me. I I prefer just to like, you know, think about it. You know, oh, it could be like in, in the mind it's great, right? And once you have to like do something, that's that's the part that I struggle with, right? Yeah, it's like uh, when you're a kid and you have like this first thing you want to build and you like use your dad's tools. Um, you have this like grand idea, like, oh, I'm going to build this. And then you're actually like, you have this like bunches of pieces of woods nailed together. It's nothing. You're like, <laughs> I had the vision, the execution. I still feel like I'm sometimes dealing with that where it's like, I had the vision. And I'm still that little kid like banging away and it like, what did it shape into? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, you mentioned there's the risk aspect of going into being an entrepreneur. You're not having those returning paychecks. And I think part of like maybe your willingness to do that was founded upon the hard work ethic um, that you kind of had fundamental to you. So I think part of it is like maybe you're willing to take that risk because you always knew like I have the hard work ethic that I can fall back on and like I'll grind out to, you know, do what I need to do. Um, you know, should this risk not pan out? Yeah, that's a good point. And I, I always, I think I always assumed that it would be hard work, that, that being an entrepreneur was not an easy lifestyle. It, it was, it was going to be, yeah. And I think you're right, that they fall, fall back on that as well in terms of, well, yeah, telling, telling myself, like coaching myself, you know, when I was actually making the jump to, you know, I started the company, had an MVP was getting traction, heard about some potential competition. Oh, this is the moment where you're supposed to quit your job and push it as fast as it can go. And coaching myself because I'm a risk averse person in some ways, uh, because, you know, I just like the idea of, of starting something new, not necessarily like doing something about it, et cetera. You know, that I had to coach myself say, you know, actually, you know, worst case scenario, I can I get another job? Can I go back to even that that current boss and say, hey, like, would you be willing to hire me? And and knowing that the truth deep down inside is like he would or, or somebody else would because he valued my hard work then. And if he needed somebody, why wouldn't he value it again? Uh, he was actually the person that was he he was so supportive when I made that decision and I like pushed the boat out into the water. Um, and that was, that was so encouraging. Yeah. You at, at Doorward in parallel, you guys have developed the concept of Doorward thinking kind of right alongside the concept of Doorward. And part of what Doorward thinking is, is kind of providing a pathway and like um, having conversations about kind of the balanced life uh, uh, having a balanced life, rather. Do you think that kind of came about because of what real estate is um, and how it can provide the avenue to that, quote, balanced life that Doorward Thinking explores? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I think, I think, I do think, as you said, the, the concept of the show evolved um, based on real experience of the kind of conversations that we wanted to have. And definitely, real estate guided that that conversation i would say there's things that i think are true about the real estate industry many other people disagree with but uh, to some extent we see real estate 
as sort of the last bastion of the American dream. You see in these different industries, you know, big pharma, big business, big tech, you know, big agriculture, you know, big education, where there's these conglomerating forces that make it very hard for maybe a new entry uh, to come in, or there's so much regulation, there's so much like startup costs or what have you, where uh, where maybe there's like niches, but as an industry, it, it can be very hard for people to set up shop as as a as a new player, as an entrepreneur. Um, but but real estate is is built on small business. Actually, the 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 average company size in real estate is like between five and seven people. It's very, very small. You think about your individual agencies, real estate agents, or the skilled trades, or so many small landlords, or um, even property management companies, like small, small, small operations. And um, so people that want to pursue that American dream are able to, you know, set up you kind of hang the shingle for the first time to maybe find some of that that work-life balance um, or work-life harmony, whatever you want to call it, um, where you can work hard and be rewarded for that and able to pursue your 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 other very worthwhile and important interests, you know, family, friends civic responsibilities, et cetera. Absolutely. And I think that leads really nicely into kind of my next question. And I think you already touched majorly on aspects of it. Um, one of the things Dorwood says is they're there for the independent operator, um, aka kind of the little guy. For that independent operator, what's the biggest obstacles um, for them entering and existing in real estate right now yeah i would say yeah i like how you put that um we even go so far i would say as like not just there for the little guy but we're there for the underdog for the people that are just starting out without even necessarily the the resume or the track record to to kind of back them up we we want the new entrance to the market um, and I think that's something that real estate does well is is welcoming those those new entrants. And so I guess to to piggyback on the, the previous question about the podcast is some of my favorite conversations end up being like someone who's just starting out, who you're not necessarily even what other people would consider um, you know, the knowledge expert or the really the, the the subject matter yeah. expert. It's me. Yeah. It's me. And and so what do they face? What are the obstacles that they face? Well, certainly it's sort of the, the lack of track record. Certainly it, they don't have the pipelines of referrals built out, the base of customers to, to leverage. And that's, um, I would say, I, I don't know. I, it's probably true not just in real estate, but in other industries where, where you have to build beyond like as a very small initial network of, of people that trust you and support you, um, but may not actually need your services 
to a larger community that can provide the the work that you want to do on a on a on an ongoing basis in a sustainable you know way um, for you to actually have a business as a as somebody that's doing it full time versus every once in a while and as a side hustle or what have you. Yeah, and I think you know that ties exactly into uh, the concept of social real estate. You're giving um, those people the ability to extend beyond maybe what they would have is just their close network and actually connect to the actual network they need, the real estate network, their local investors, their local contractors, uh, even the local tenants, and just getting that knowledge and also getting the right kind of receptors for their services. Absolutely. That receptor word is really key because we live in an age of a lot of noise. This is not like a new idea. Like, <laughs> surprise! Ooh. Uh, there's, there's a lot of noise and, and different things, whether it's, you know, automatically generating AI, you know, you know, chat GPT or similar like content, just like so much noise and and what i think people are doing right now is looking their receptors are looking for the real stuff they're like trying to understand uh like what is what is fake and what is real and certainly what we see uh in social real estate as as you say is is people depending on social proof to understand if a vendor or supplier is is actually real in the sense of you know a real person or a company that has the the skills to solve their problem and by social proof like i think most people are familiar like okay who is this person's connections how many followers do they have how many people are they following or what what interactions are they having in a professional or social network you know if somebody sends me a connection request on linkedin and they only have two connections i'm pretty suspicious of of that account now maybe they're just getting started but if i don't even recognize the name or what have you uh, and they're like trying to sell some service to me i'm going to be pretty skeptical even if I really need that service, I'm going to be, well, like I might try to do some other digging to see if that's actually something real, somebody that can actually help me solve my problem. And so I think that evolves kind of into what I'm, my next question of when you're making those connections, it can't purely be um, on the value of a service because you said even if they're looking um, exactly for what you need or rather they're providing exactly what you need, or they're, they are true connection in some way or another, just kind of the power of, I guess, what they're selling or the technology alone isn't enough to sort of create that true connection. One of the things you note as a principle of Doorward is the power of relationships. Um, how do you think kind of forging relationships in real estate and even broader than real estate was important to starting out i guess even in your career um and in in doorward it's everything number one as you said that's like kind of point in case you could have a very strong service but without the relationships 
without being known as a trusted entity within an existing community, you're not going to get very far. So I guess your question is like, how does one, how, how do, re, how do trusted relationships happen? And like, that's the, that's the million dollar question, of course. And I think there's, there's different ways that, that people do it. I'll speak to what I, what I see, what I know from real estate, like you said, uh, kind of in and outside of professional life, I suppose, but I'm certainly not like a trust expert. Uh, I know that there, there are people out there that study this. Uh, and I think it's a fascinating area, to be honest. Um, I'd say, um, let's see, thinking, thinking back on, on, on the relationships that you could say, like, move the ball forward, like push the needle forward in my life. Certainly, like time is an aspect by which people slowly get familiar in those like micro, micro interactions. OK, this person is who I thought they were. Little like repeated Trust exercises. I think delight is a factor where you know everybody wants to be happy. Kind of very quickly, if some in some way um, your your like delight sensor is sparked, that can be like a jump start to that. You know, at least to give somebody a try. I would say obviously the the power of a network. There've been there've been some some people that took chances on me who who didn't know me at all, but because um, there was a larger community that trusted me they said okay let's take a chance on this guy so i wanted to get a little bit into the uh, operational side of the business the techie side of the business you guys are at a crux um of kind of three difficult industries on their own real estate which we've touched on technology you're an app company and you're also in social kind of networking media how do you think you've navigated being at the crux um of those three like the good the bad the ugly Wow. Uh, <laughs> um, you're making me uh, definitely like, be like, well, that was a stupid move. Like, why would anybody want to be at the intersection of those three really difficult places? Okay, how have we navigated it? Um, I, I'll say good and bad. I will say, I think on one hand, our commitment to a relationship, to trying to do things the right way, to not um, manipulate people, to not um, be aggressive with people. It has worked in our favor. I will say that we probably haven't done a good job avoiding chicken or egg scenarios in, in some of those spaces that we operate in, that intersection that you so uh, cruelly pointed out. There's definitely been, in retrospect, things that we could have done differently to to avoid some of the chicken or egg scenarios. I don't know if it's true, because in some ways, everything always requires somebody else to do the thing. Like, I can't do the thing until somebody else does the thing. But I think that on the spectrum, some of the areas that we operate in uh, are very reliant on people people being in the room at the same time, people willing to you know do the thing at the same time. And I think we haven't, in retrospect, we haven't not navigated that aspect well. Um, so I definitely, like lesson learned, I think, for hopefully for other entrepreneurs and ventures out there, avoiding as much as possible like chicken or egg scenario. Can you dive quickly kind of what you mean by chicken and egg scenarios? I mean, obviously everyone knows the concept, uh, but kind of how you're thinking about it. 
Sure, absolutely. Yeah. So I'll give you an example with regards to contractors. If you have a marketplace of property owners and contractors and you want them to be able to transact, they, they, and they, they're both motivated to do it. They both are interested, but you have buyers and you have sellers. That's a chicken or egg dilemma that I'm speaking about. Those others. How do you how do you have both buyers and sellers in the same, you know, you could say marketplace, the, the bazaar, the, the 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 farmer's market, right? You know, how do you how do you build it? How do you build the farmer's market? And there's different ways to do it. So for example, one realization recently was, you know, we built out a whole separate application for contractors where they could log in and get the notifications regarding potential job opportunities. But that's not the only way we could have done it, or we would have, you know, maybe we should have done it. Why not work with existing things that contractors are to use? Can they get a just an email notification? Can they get a, a text notification? And could we have like allowed them to respond on these existing platforms that they already are in? And then like maybe later down the line, build out those additional tools that the contractors needed and wanted. And that would have been, in a sense, a very different path, which would have avoided like a very narrow, like chicken or, chicken or egg moment if we, we leverage things that they're already using, not having to introduce like a new thing into their life. So I think this might tie into the next segment, which will round out kind of the techie questions. I call this segment, quote on a quote. This is a quote from Loris Lieberts. I'm going to read the quote off and you just tell me what you think. Uh, Give your quote on the quote. Get the customers first, then build the tech, not the other way around. Beautiful. Beautiful. I think it's a good reminder for at least some of the population out there. I think some people, depending on personality, temperament, et cetera, are, they get more excited about building the product. I think other people, they don't have that sort of inclination, et cetera. Um, you always have to have a product. So I think this, this idea of, well, get the customer first entirely is, is not, not necessarily true. Um, even, even what they call like doing pre-sales, you've, you've already like, you're doing something to put together. You have to have at least some sort of MVP or concept, yeah. Even if it's just the concept, right? And you have a slide deck of, of what you're going to do. Like you could say that's, that's the product uh, in, in, a, in a, I'll bite in like a very you know, nascent you know, potential form. So our final question, what would be your advice for someone who thinks that they have a vision for a successful either product or company? What would you say the first step is? I think the first step is to really take a solid look, look squarely at the the service and the product and make sure it lines up both with their internal mission of the person with what does that product actually do and serve as humanity? And are they willing to, one, uh, do it without money? And two, making sure that people actually want to pay money for that thing um, kind of simultaneously. Awesome. I think that's great advice. Well, Dan, uh, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate you willing to kind of share your insights and uh, learn more about your entrepreneurial journey. And if you want to check out Dan, he is on LinkedIn at Dan Jakey Bison. Anywhere else that people should contact you, Dan? Mm, find me on Doorward. Find him on Doorward. Doorward is 
platform for social real estate. Thanks very much, Dan. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me on. Good to see you, man. Good to see you too. If you'd like to learn more about DoorWord, check out doorward.com, D-O-O-R-W-A-R-D.com or doorward.com slash platform. Thanks for listening to B is for Business. If you enjoyed today's episode, consider sharing it with a friend and giving us a rating on wherever you're listening. To connect with us, like and share on Instagram at B is for Business Show or LinkedIn or Facebook at B is for Business. Have a great Monday, everyone. Thanks for listening to B is for Business. Intro music is by The Revolution. Outro music is by Reveal.
The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent. B is for Business is a trademark of Bison LLC. Remember to like, subscribe, and share B is for Business across all platforms. Thank you.